Hello and welcome to our podcast. We're calling it The Hunch because we believe you get the best ideas from people when they're relaxed, when they're with friends. And rather than giving you the corporate line, they give you their best guess, their gut feeling, their hunch. I'm Mark Schmid, and in each episode, I'll be talking to someone who can give us the lowdown on something that will transform their sector, our society, or even our everyday lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Hunch. I'm here today with Abby Mangold. Abby's going to tell us a little bit about herself in a moment. We've known each other for many years. And Abby is someone who understands about reputation and the issues that businesses and other leaders face regularly. She's got a very good idea as well about what the pitfalls are when dealing with the media. And this year has been one of many reputational issues for private and public bodies. So I'm sure we'll have no shortage of topics to talk about. Welcome, Abby. Mark, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. You're right, you know, I was thinking about how long we've known each other. So very briefly, my background was as a producer director for BBC Television, and I spent a number of years on the Watchdog programme. And I was often calling you up, Mark, in your talk talk days, <laughs> asking you to put forward someone as a spokesperson on the programme, which was always a challenge. But you were very kind and put someone forward on a couple of occasions. So I spent many years digging around, looking at different organisations, lots of secretly filmed undercover stuff. Um, and then a, a, in a move that I, I see many, many people doing, particularly at the moment, I went uh, to the dark side, into comms, poacher turned gamekeeper, and went to work for a global PR agency for a number of years, providing strategic counsel to various big name brands. And then about nine years ago, I set up Mangold Consultancy. I can't actually believe it's nine years ago, but set up Mangold Consultancy. And we sort of broadly specialise in media and presentation training and crisis comms management for lots of different brands and organisations and people. And of course, you know, going back to those watchdog days, Abby, companies were making mistakes. Companies always have made mistakes and they always will because they have humans to the fore and we are prone to make mistakes. Uh, I guess it's another subject as to whether or not there'll be fewer and fewer humans in the future. They might be involved in uh, business decisions. They might make fewer uh, mistakes. But I think that whole AI topic might be for a, for a different podcast. So let's just think about the human business leaders for a change. Um, the spotlight has always been on them, particularly if you lead a FTSE 100 or a major consumer brand with millions of customers. Do you think scrutiny is more intense now with all of the different channels there are? Or in fact, because the audience is so diverse uh, and there isn't those perhaps those big moments like Watchdog when you'd have had millions of people watching a single programme, actually they might find it easier. What do you think? So I, I think it's a really good question. You know, companies like let's take Talk Talk as, as an example at the time would have been very uncomfortable with being on watchdog usually on a, on a Thursday evening because it had a big audience and it was kind of sit down not quite water cooler but a lot of people would sit down to watch the program 
it hardly exists now anymore, Watchdog. It exists only within the one show now. But what you've got now through globalization and amazing communications channels, let's let's say social media, is a much, much bigger audience. But you've got an audience that potentially is less interested in every single thing that every single company does. The problem you've got, I think, now is that for, as an organization, you used to have let's call it five days to respond to a watchdog letter and get get your statement together and get together and train your spokesperson. Now there's just no time. There's no time at all. And I think one of the big challenges when it comes to social media is younger people understand it and use it in a very different way to older people. And CEOs of organizations tend to be older people. And I think sometimes there's a challenge between what's happening for young people, what their expectations of brands and companies is on social media, and sometimes perhaps how seriously senior people are taking social media. It is changing and it's vastly, vastly improving. One of the big challenges that I see is getting exec teams on boards when it comes to managing a crisis um, from a communications point of view. Often organisations have got a kind of what happens if the office gets bombed, business continuity plans. But in terms of forensically looking at a crisis as it's emerging and thinking about the communications response, that can be really difficult. Um, and there was a really interesting piece of research done by um, PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC in 2020, which said that 69% of leaders had experienced a crisis in the last five years. And what was really interesting about the research was that they found that an organization's response determines whether they're a winner or a loser. Okay, so when a crisis happens, there is inevitably going to be some kind of initial loss. That's to be expected. But what the report found was that initial loss on average was only about 5% for those who were perceived to, quote, manage a crisis well, but 11% for those who didn't handle a crisis well. And on top of that, 250 days after train after trading, those who did well had actually managed to add 10% to their value, whereas those who were perceived to have done badly suffered a 15% reduction in value. So I think so the takeaway there is your reputation, your brand, your company, your organization is hugely, hugely important in a world where everyone can look at what you're doing and take a view on what you're doing. But you can, there's a lot of things you can do as an organization to mitigate the damage to the bottom line. And actually, when you're talking about senior leadership teams and you start talking about uh, the impact and reactions of the markets, that's when you tend to get people involved. So we are living in a very different world, as you've identified. But for me, there are so many things that organisations can be doing before a crisis hit, before any issue even happens, that means long term you can have less reputational damage and, and mitigate that risk to the business. And does that start with 
preparation you mentioned that businesses have these crisis plans uh taking up draw space gathering dust because often they're so incredibly broad or they focus on things like uh uh, uh you know catastrophic head office explodes kind of things rather than the the kind of things that are more prevalent on a risk risk register like a a, a, a data breach or a sexual misconduct or something like that so exactly. does it all start with that prep but realistic and actionable prep yeah it does and and the 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 key to good crisis management is all the work you do in peacetime I mean, that's what I say consistently to to clients. Yes, the management of an issue in the moment is important, but there is and and will have an impact. But the work you you can do beforehand, but it's also more than that, so much more than a crisis manual. You know, culturally, an organisation needs to be a place where if someone at any level of the organisation thinks, hmm, that doesn't feel quite right, or that's an odd complaint, or, you know, the way someone's behaved within the organisation isn't okay. An organisation needs to have a a culture that allows people to say that. Now, lots of organisations have different uh, means for doing that. You can have whistleblower um, helplines. Um, you can you can have immediate managers that you can go to. You can have individual people identified. But the reason that that culture is so important is because in ninety nine percent of cases, Mark, a crisis is just an issue that's bubbled up to a crisis. The majority of the time, crises don't come from out of nowhere. You know they're coming. Someone somewhere has gone, hmm, that's a bit odd. Or, you know, let me give you an example. Alison Rose at NatWest. Nigel Farage emailed the head of Coots way in advance of everything getting into the public domain to ask him about getting a response to why his account was being closed. So they knew a long, long time in advance that quite a high profile person had some unhappiness about their account being closed. And time and time again, you see things being ignored. BBC, Hugh Edwards, the um, relative of a a young person um, alleged to have links to the BBC uh, news presenter, Hugh Edwards, had contacted the BBC. That was, it appears, sat on for weeks and weeks and weeks. The British Museum, the stolen artefacts. In 2020, they were contacted and said, and and antiquities dealers said to them, we think there's some British Museum artefacts on sale on eBay. All these organisations have those indicators Often we call them weak signals, but in my view, the ones I've just described to you are not really weak signals, they're really in-your-face signals. They knew that even if they elected not to respond, which in some cases it appears was the case, the, the challenge for me as a crisis comms person is at least stick a couple of people in a room who go, okay, you don't have to tell everyone because some of these things turn out not to be true or or there are um, always sort of elements of um, stories that are not quite reported correctly. 
but stick a couple of people in a room who go, okay, just in case this does go out, let's have a plan. And that's what staggers me about, you know, NatWest, British Museum, BBC, these are big brands, big organisations, important institutions in the UK. And I'm just surprised that when the crisis hits, the what happens and the way people respond and the time it takes for people to stand down indicates to me that somewhere along the line, there wasn't a bit of scenario planning and that all of that can be done before a crisis hits. Mm. When you mention those three organisations, they're great examples. The word that springs to mind for me is layers. If I think of the BBC, Cootsnap, West, British Museum, I imagine that there are so many levels of different manager and someone has actually got to raise the flag and say, I'm going to bang on a door and raise this with the very most senior people. Um, but they've probably got a number of committees and emails to send yes. to get to that point. Yes. And I'm, I would imagine, and some of the organisations, you know, we've, we've both worked with that are perhaps a little bit more modern, a bit more front foot, when you can actually, well, I guess these days you'd probably WhatsApp your, your CEO yeah. or you actually have a relationship with her or him where you can actually just walk on in and say, hey, you need to take a view on this. Yeah. Um, yeah. That perhaps you know wouldn't happen, but probably half of all of the businesses out there today still have that very uh, officious, slow response to issues like this. Uh, they do. And Mark, the, the other thing to think, I think that's absolutely right. And the organisations that we work with who I see managing crises um, better uh, are, are, are those that are able to be agile. The other, th the other point about the, the kind of culture as well, and I think it's important, and you and I both work a lot with clients in terms of messaging and story and, and how they present themselves and their tone of voice and what the narrative is. You know, the British Museum categorically said that they thoroughly investigated and found no suggestions of any wrongdoing and dismissed the concerns of this, this uh, person who was saying they'd seen antiquities on sale on eBay. So they lied. That is my understanding of the situation. There are lots of situations where people have lied and I'm sure they've got away with it. And none of us are any the wiser and it's worked. But I would say, and going back to the point at the beginning, in this globalised, connected world that we live in, more and more times we are finding that the lie gets found out in the end. And it is so much harder to come back from a lie than it is from not really saying that much and not really giving a journalist or a reporter what they want, but managing it than if you lie. The first thing I say to clients when we get called in on a crisis is, why haven't you told me? Where are the skeletons? What do I need to know? Because if you tell me, I can prepare for it and I can manage that. But if you don't tell me and we go out and say something and then you tell me, that's going to be really, really hard to come back from. Mm. So I think culturally, you know, I talked about that crisis culture and being an organisation that allows people to do that, you know, they, they, there should also be a culture where lying is called out. Um, you know, that is not a legitimate crisis response uh, in the majority of situations, in all situations, because I think you get you get caught out. And saying um, it like it is, I think too often people are afraid to say, call out a lie. 
Um, yeah. And actually, they they kind of clothe it in, you know, different, more acceptable languages. But naturally, if you tell a lie, you're almost certainly going to get found out. And also, as we, as we know, if you try and then um, uh, get in the way of it uh, and cover it up, it's the cover up that kills you. So <clears throat> that's that's well known and established. But, yeah, it seems to be ever more uh, prevalent and ever more occurring. And I think... A lot of the time I see within communications teams anyway, that if the relationship is not strong enough between communications people and execs, particularly in a time of crisis, the comms team almost don't have agency to go, uh, excuse me, actually, that's not right. And a lot of the time, what I find, or what we find ourselves doing is 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 being a conduit for some of those more difficult questions that comms teams need to ask because we're an outsider right so we're not we're going to risk losing our job if we ask difficult questions and for me in a crisis you've got to have someone asking difficult questions I mean I'd much rather be annoying and ask loads of difficult questions than kind of go oh yes you've got this all right and be a yes man so I think you know that's another thing in a crisis is that there, you know, can be a lot of kind of groupthink within an organisation, and you need someone to 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 really challenge that and say, "What if?" and "Where are the skeletons?" That's so true. Uh, the groupthink piece. I also categorise it in terms of successful businesses and successful teams within those businesses have often developed a little bit of a reality distortion field to to use a Steve Jobs. Uh, term yes. whereby you it's very hard to see that everything you do isn't the right thing and you believe wholly in what you're doing and that's propelling you forwards but then when there is uh, a bump in the road you've begun to tell yourself that all the voices outside are wrong anyway and so you know it, we shouldn't be being deflected by that or pay, taking too much heed of that we know what we're doing we know why we're doing it let's plow on and that's very positive in lots of ways. But occasionally that lack of perspective and almost the over emotional response to an issue. Yes. And I use the word issue a lot more than crisis, because as you said yes. earlier, there are issues every single day in business. Yeah. Thankfully, very, 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 very few of them become a crisis. Yes. And often if they have become a crisis, it's because of something you've done or haven't done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know, I'd absolutely uh, agree. We were talking the other day about the Mary Earps goalkeeper T-shirt mm. and the fact that Nike did a U-turn on that. And so, you know, that for me is a really, really interesting example of commercially that organisation, that company didn't have value, didn't see value in producing ladies goalkeeper shirt or in this in this particular example, the Mary Earps shirt. And it caused a lot of outcry, right? You know, it, a petition went to the change.org petition went through and I think it's sort of had over 150,000 signatures. Um, and then it was because of the pressure from social and people that the decision was turned around. And I think there are some um, hot topics and issues like gender equality, um, diversity, 
environmental and sustainable issues, sustainability issues, cost of living crisis, where organisations have just got to be a bit more agile, Mark. Mm -hmm. They've just got to understand the world that we're living in and that sometimes the right decision is going to be more important, even if there's going to be a hit to the bottom line. And that plays back to the piece I said about managing a crisis and how if you do it well, you can actually gain, you know, good crisis management leads to an organization actually being seen better. Yeah. You've got to be agile. You've got to listen to people who are advising you and you've got to be alive to what people are, mm. are, are telling you on some of these topics, which are so much bigger than business, right? These, yeah. these are about people's lives and how they see themselves. And they're bigger than numbers <laughs> because uh, naturally now a lot of decisions are, are data led. And that is the right way to run a business uh, for for the most part with, you know, empirical evidence. However, as you say, you also have to take in other dimensions. And one of them is public sentiment. One of them is is the opinion and the, and the, and the right thing to do. And so occasionally you might make a, a commercial decision, but actually you're, you're missing out on what um, your key stakeholders and yeah. the public at large might expect from you yeah. and I think that's it to always try and remain in touch and that goes back to the the culture of the business yeah uh, and yeah we can see that some decisions uh, might be made with the right commercial intention but they actually don't play into what people want and expect from yeah. leading businesses yeah and what's interesting about Nike is and I hadn't remembered this but you know, they have had other stories where they've come out quite negatively in their dealings with women and right. they've not really responded under attack. There was a former Olympic spr uh, sprinter, a lady called Alison Felix, who was approached for an advertising campaign about female empowerment with Nike at the same time that she was disputing contract terms in which Nike had offered her a 70% pay cut in her contract after getting pregnant. That, you know, that, let's put aside that particular decision, that sets up the organisation in not a particularly good light. And if culturally as an organisation, you're tracking the issues that you face, you will know, mm, we had that in 2019, we had that issue with Alison Felix, Let's just be aware of women's football coming up and these issues, because as a journalist with my old journalist hat on, I just pull all the different stories from different. Okay, it doesn't matter to me when they happen, Mark. It creates a story which shows that I don't always deal with women very well. And, and my argument putting back on my comms hat is you could have seen that coming and you should have known about that. And even if you know about it, but you decide you're not going to do it or change your opinion, how are you going to respond to that? And, and the fact that Nike sort of rejected the call for the shirt, but then eventually kind of after a month capitulated, it's just, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't look great. And, and uh, it, it, it smacks of not having thought through how that could play out. And, 
look, we can't always get it right. We don't always know the direction stories are going to take. And we don't fully understand when things blow up on TikTok, how the algorithm worked or why they blew up. But I think there is some basic planning that you can do in peacetime that means you're a bit better prepared for these things. And assume that you are going to make mistakes. There are going to be missteps. You know, Nike, I'm sure if we had them on, they'd have a list of 100 wonderful things they've done for women's sports. However, you know, the couple of things that stand out to a journalist and to someone who's informed don't look great. So imagine that in the next two, three, four, five years, you'll have one or more at least of these issues. However well you try and run your business you're going to have make some mistakes around certain hot topic areas yeah so what do you do and the advice it seems to 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 be we're hearing is we'll make sure you're consistent and make sure you don't make a u-turn a month later for which you're not going to get any credit anyway make sure the right people the senior people are making a decision very very quickly Mm And hopefully then you can put your hands up and say, yeah, gosh, that was a a silly mistake we made. This is the reason we made it. And we're reversing that decision. Don't try and make people feel that it's been dragged out of you kicking and screaming. 100%. And if you look at something like, some people may disagree with this, but if you look at something like Nats uh, in August when um, all the flights were not actually grounded but slowed down in the UK because of an issue with the um with the NAT system with the system that you know allows planes to move through the sky safely and not bump into each other quite important quite fairly important you know people's lives at risk you know you think about the way they responded to that and for me they they responded in the right way and they responded pretty quickly I think one of the airlines got out about 10 minutes before the first statement came from from Nats. But that is something where, you know, I'm presuming they were well prepared for it. You know, it's tin hats on in the trenches. We know it's going to be difficult for a while, but actually grounding, slowing down the number of flights that took off was absolutely the right and the safe thing to do. And the tail of that crisis was pretty short, right? You know, it happened. Yes, there were lots and lots of interviews with lots of different uh, broadcasters and newspapers of unhappy passengers. And and I, in fact, was, was one of them and my flight was delayed. But at the end of the day, it was dealt with and it was resolved and moved on. And these long tales of issues and these, you know, they keep bringing more stories and the press go back to them. You know, that is just such a drag on resources and everything and the reputation of an organisation. And I would argue that, that you know, a, a an organisation that has good crisis comms management in place should be, dealing with that and reducing the tail of of issues and crises that's a great example of a timely timely intervention in terms of who the best message deliverer is obviously every situation is different but i think there's often a, a decision to be made about whether the person delivering the the news be it bad news and apology or, yeah. or how an issue is going to be rectified is the most senior person in the business or the subject matter expert. Mm. Cause occasionally you'll see the most senior person in the business 
uh, talking about something quite specific. Mm. Um, and you might not expect them to actually mm. be mm. the person closest to it. Mm. Or on the other hand, you might have someone who's incredibly close to the issue, but might not be seen by the audience to have the seniority. And then there might be a thought of, well, how seriously are they, they taking this? Where do you come in on that question? That's a really interesting one. Um, my my visceral reaction to that is if you're talking about loss of life or if you're talking about I'm thinking of here of um, Nick Varney spokesperson for Merlin mm. after the um, Alton Towers crash who did an extremely good job in a in a, a fairly well-known interview difficult interview with Kay Burley on Sky News for me that was absolutely the right decision um, you know people were a huge number of people were injured in that accident and it was right that he he was out there. I can think of other situations with crises that have been um, not as damaging, but they've been for very high profile brands. And I can think of one, for example, which was around a, um, an item of food which was making people unwell. In that situation, I wanted the quality and safety person at the FMCG company to be on talking because actually I don't know how much the CEO can talk about or the the, the chief marketing officer can talk about the ins and outs of quality factory and uh, quality and safety practices and factories and you almost want the kind of quotes white coat in there you want someone who's doing it every day and lives and breathes um, the food standards agency regulations and that kind of thing. So I, I look, all these calls are made depending on uh, the issue at the time. But I do think there's a strong argument for um, experts in that particular field to be talking. In fact, we're working with, with a client at the moment doing a, a load of media training with their R&D teams. And it's not for media training. It's for them to talk to influencers and talk to people on social media. Not it's not at all for for um, for speaking to journalists. And I think it's really interesting that they're thinking. Actually, we want to train up our R and D people because they're brilliant. They're really in the science of the products, and they live and breathe the products. And they can, you know, talk about the epidermis and the skin like nobody's business. And our job is to really help them bring out that enthusiasm and make sure they don't go too sciencey for influencers. So I, I think there's an argument for all, but I do I'll go back to the final point in a kind of injury, life or death situation. I, I want to see, I want to see the boss out there, CEO out there. I mean, that's a pretty clear rule there. If there's been something of that magnitude, then yes, it yeah. has to be the person who bears the ultimate responsibility. Yeah. But if it's, um, uh, something else to do with a particular business unit or specifically if it's something that is relatively technical then yeah having an expert to explain it as long as that expert has um had some help in terms of getting the message across in a very clear and succinct way that can really be the way to go so there will be of course even in the next couple of weeks abby there'll be another business or organization that that gets or there I even say a, a government minister that gets in, in a bit of a bit of a, a, a tangle. Never, Mark. That never what, happens. <laughs> what's your advice for when people are in 
in the the hot seat for for keeping your cool when the when the questioning is going in a way you you don't want it to and you see your 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 story and maybe your career collapse in front of your eyes what do you do um so bit like crisis um management the majority of the work in my view is done before you even sit down in the chair you have a really clear strategy about what are the three things that you want to make sure that the journalist leaves the room knowing more often than not particularly in a crisis situation you don't get asked the questions that you want Um, that's to be expected and if you work work with us work with the media training you won't get any of the questions you expected and you'll be pushed through your paces on that very basis there are ways that you can um pivot to the things you want to talk about i think it's difficult when we listen to politicians most mornings seemingly trotting out the line that they've been given by uh the comms team that day and seem to ignore all the questions. And I don't, I think listeners and um, viewers find nothing more infuriating than someone ignoring a question, but there are ways that you can manage your response and keep focused on the key things that you're there to talk about. Look, if we're talking about a situation where you know, really serious situation where people have died and people have been injured. You just got to be human. I mean, you've just got to say, you recognize the the human impact of a crisis such as an accident. And I don't, I don't even particularly think there's a rule book for that, which is any more than be human and be honest. But where there's perhaps a crisis that as we sometimes see, uh, gets kind of drummed up by the media a little bit more. I do think well-trained spokespeople are able to focus on what they are there to talk about, take their agenda to the conversation. Um, I think some people feel that uh, people who are overly media trained, that can kind of come across. And I, you know, I think we can all see people where we're like, oh, they're just not answering the question at all. There is a skill to it, Mark, and it takes a lot of practice. Um, but but be really clear, anyone you see on the TV or here on the radio these days has had some level of media training, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But for me, media training is is not about pushing on someone a way of doing something it's about finding out who that person is and how they communicate and working with that to help them get their agenda across when they're talking to the media um if someone sounds overtrained, it's because either the training hasn't been very good or they haven't learned and applied it right. very well right. and they never say I've, I've never heard anyone say gosh yeah um my the airline pilot they were overtrained." My surgeon, they were overtrained. Yeah. As yeah. much training as you need, but it's yeah. to apply it. Yeah. But, the, you know, the other thing coming back to kind of do you put a CEO forward, um, do you put someone else forward is 
in a crisis, we know that the markets respond extremely well if you get the CEO up there quite quickly. So the again, thinking about why does crisis management matter? And in particular, for me, crisis communications and every single word that you say in a crisis, you know, it, it, it has a, an impact on the bottom line. So it's important to get that right. And people who... Um, organizations who are good at this are training their spokespeople every year because it's just like any training. It's just like going to the gym. If you don't flex that muscle, you forget it and it goes weak Mm. and you have to keep going. And every year there's another issue that has bubbled away in your organization or another topical issue that's come out um, in, in, in the news that means you need to have a position on it. And more and more of these broader issues we see moving into conversations with journalists. You go in to talk about an announcement about something and you end up talking about, for one of the retailers we work with, you know, sustainability and why haven't they put doors on their fridges in the supermarket, you know? So that's that's why part of being a good leader is about preparing to speak to the press, but also understanding the range of things that you can be asked about and successfully navigating those questions to be able to demonstrate the good things that you as an organization are doing. And let's not make any bones about it. Organizations or companies can probably bounce back more quickly than an individual can. Often an individual, it makes and breaks your career. You might have had a stellar career and done very positive things, but one uh, issue uh, if, for example, you ever get into a, a fight with Nigel Farage and he comes out of it looking better than you, then you know you're on the re- really are on the wrong side of history. Yeah. And, you, and, and, and you're right. And it's really sad because actually, you know, I think Alison Rose did a huge amount for women in mm. the financial sector. That can't have been when she started. That cannot have been an easy sector for a woman to work in and she'd risen up the ranks and it's it's a really really sad um legacy really of her time but you know another another sort of word to the wise is I'm going to nick a line that my sister we work together um she always uses you know treat the press like a dog you've just met friendly but keep your distance and just always they, there's just a chance they might turn and bite you. And both she and I are former journalists. So we feel like we, we speak from experience and, you know, it just goes to show that no matter how long relationships are built potentially with journalists, you know, everything you say is potentially a story. That's journalist lifeblood is an exclusive. That's what they're looking for. Of course they are, but it's sad. I, I, I agree in this situation. I think it's it's sad that it ended it as, as it did, but there we go. I guess it's the price you pay for talking to journalists and for being the CEO of, of an organisation. Yeah, well, Abby, you, you said earlier that preparation is the key and know what you want to get out of, of an interview. And when we sat down today, I thought our listeners are going to get some really good advice and I want at least one soundbite that they're really going to remember. And certainly treating a journalist like a dog you've just met is that. <laughs> so I have to ask you finally, Yes. Um, what is your hunch for the future of reputation and issues management? Uh, my hunch is 
more focused, specific preparation around some of the topics that we see coming out on social media. So some of the things that we see happening on social media, which affect a lot of organisations, I see people taking a much greater focus on those, not being led by them, not being defined by them, but recognising that there are things and conversations happening on social media that any organisation, which is a pretty well-known brand, needs to be thinking about and needs to be prepping for, but also needs to acknowledge that sometimes on social, you have to watch some watch things happening, allow them to be and step in when appropriate. Have you angled? Thank you so much for being on The Hunch. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening. Follow me, Mark Schmid, or our company, Simmons & Schmid, on LinkedIn or Twitter for news of our next episode.